right, everybody. Let's uh, let's give a, a big, warm welcome to Zach Lefebvre. Uh, Zach, to give a, a quick brief intro, went from uh, McGill University in Montreal to painting houses to getting other people to paint houses for him, mm-hmm. um, to doing a bunch of other fun stuff, and then going to San Francisco to join um, one of the top leading um, global accelerator programs for tech, and now is running his own very interesting business in the electric vehicle software space. So welcome, Zach. Thank you for joining us. I know you're super busy. It was uh, was tough to get a hold of you, but we're here. And we're happy uh, we got gotcha. you. Let's jump right in. Thanks. And uh, always happy to chat with uh, the two of you, obviously. Um, you know, we, we've known each other for a long time and um, super excited that you guys are are running your own businesses now too, because we, um, you know, came together through this program that taught everybody how to run, run a business, but obviously people take different paths and not everybody mm. is running a business, but I'm still running a business and and you guys are too. Yeah. Way to be. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we, we did, we did kind of talk about this a little before the break, but I just wanted to kind of open it up by, uh, you know, in, in the making by hearing a little bit more about your journey, because like Dan said, we, we kind of all started at student works together um and then we've kind of like you know like had a couple little contact points throughout the years but the last big thing i knew is that you were doing the next 36 big uh, startup accelerator in canada um and then the next thing i heard was you were running this big startup charge lab so can you tell us a little bit about like point a to point b that that journey for you yeah and and i would uh i would clarify that that charge lab is a small startup in a small company or at least hopefully okay. we look back in a couple of years and we say oh my god i can't believe how small they were back okay. then um but yeah no to- totally the right idea um yeah i you know like you guys i i grew up in canada i grew up in ottawa um you guys i think both grew up in montreal right yes sir. um yeah, I, I actually went to high school in uh, Beijing. Both of my parents were working for a big tech company and you know they were doing a lot of outsourcing to Asia at that point. So I spent four years of high school in Beijing and then I came back to Canada for college um, and went to McGill. And that's kind of where we, we all met in, in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, I was... Um, you know, in, in, in my first year physics, physics class or whatever it was. And, you know, clipboard came around, uh, the auditorium back when, you know, we went to these big classrooms to, to go to school. I think people just do it on their laptops now. Um, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, the clipboard came around and it was like, hey, do you want to make $15,000 this summer? And just like you guys, I was like, okay, that sounds like a sweet deal. Um, and, and be your own boss and and all this stuff. And so, you know, I went to the info session. I, I joined the program, um, which I, I think as your, as your audience grows, like some people are going to know student works painting. Other people are going to know College Pro, um, which is like the bigger uh, brand, but it's essentially the, the same program, you know, uh, college students uh, get enrolled to run these uh, home services businesses. And just like you guys, I ran a franchise business for two years um, and then became, you know, a district manager. So I was recruiting other students to run the franchise businesses. Um, And it was great. Uh, You know, 
a lot of people don't get the chance to start or run a business until after they've graduated uh, or, or done undergrad or after they've had their first few jobs. So getting the chance to uh, start a business in undergrad grad and get hands-on experience uh, was amazing. Um, at the same time, I was studying computer science at McGill and I, I didn't really know what a tech startup was, like to be completely honest. And and like, you know, when, when, we, we, when we were all doing uh, student works together, um, like this was, I started it in 2010, 2011. So like we were, you know, aware that like Facebook was super cool and there was these things happening with Airbnb and like it was all, all but like um, I don't feel like tech had like the same presence um, in the world and especially like in a place like Montreal, um, which yeah. is certainly not like, like the, the center. Probably the beginning of Uber, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. And, and Uber was, was coming out. Yeah. I think Uber like literally launched in 2011 or 2012. Um, Instagram was first coming out. So I, I didn't really know what a tech startup was. Um, but, you know, after I had finished with the student uh, painting franchise businesses, I joined this program in Toronto called the Next 36. And that's where I kind of learned what a tech company was. And, you know, spent four months like building a mobile app company, uh, which like we never even really launched, um, like soft launched, but, uh, but never took off. But more importantly, like learned the idea of, um, you know, okay, what type of business would you start to attract venture capitalists? Um, you know, how, how do you, how do you build uh, a scalable software company? Um, and, um, and it was actually around that time in 2014 or 2015 that I was also, um, you know, getting uh, really interested in electric vehicles. Um, and again, like, you know, th th this is like the year of the, this, the Super Bowl was just a couple of days ago. And I think like every car ad at the Super Bowl was an electric car ad. Mm. Um, so, you know, things change really, really quickly. Um, and like now everyone's like, yeah, obviously electric vehicles is the future. Everybody's going to be driving them. But at the time that I was interested, there were like three electric vehicles on the market, the Tesla Model S, um, mm. the Nissan Leaf and the Chevy and the Chevy Volt, which was a hybrid electric vehicle, um, and like a couple others. Um, but, you know, I just got so interested in the subject. And, you know, I had always thought of like the idea of an electric vehicle as kind of like an alternative to a gasoline vehicle. So um, like if, if you, uh, you know, if you were conscious about the environment, you might buy an eco-friendly cleaner and, um, uh, you know, clean your house with that. But when you really make a mess, you're going to like go get the toxic stuff and like scrub the floor. Cause like you actually <laughs> are serious. And so in the same way, I thought that like, okay, electric vehicles are cute, but you know, they can't match a gasoline vehicle. But mm. it was like through the, going to these meetups actually in Montreal um, that I, I learned that like actually, you know, electric vehicles are better in every respect. They're more powerful, you know, they're mm. faster, they're completely silent to drive, which like some people don't like, but, um, but for most people it's, 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 you know, just a way better experience. And, you know, there's this whole concept of like, oh, charging is, is going to be a pain in the ass, but um, I drive an electric vehicle now and, and I charge in my garage, right? So every morning I have a full tank of gas and that is undoubtedly a better experience than ever going to a gas station again. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, 
as I was kind of getting interested in this, it was clear that like not everybody who drove an electric vehicle was necessarily going to have a charger at home. So there's going to be a huge need for charging infrastructure in public and workplaces and multifamily buildings and condos and, and apartment buildings. And uh, that's really where the idea of Charge Lab uh, came from, um, you know, uh, long story short, I, I incorporated the company in 2016, um, really didn't have the whole vision for what we're building today, um, but I knew that EV infrastructure was going to be a problem. So I actually just went out there and found the biggest EV charger manufacturers, so the people making these devices that I could find and asked them all if I could sell their product. And, you know, this was early in the market and they didn't have distribution channels or very good salespeople. So they were like, yes, please. Um, and it was actually through going out and, and selling their products that I found that um, some of them came with the software bundled um, with the charger. So you would buy the charger, it would come with an app and a software that lets you control it. But most of the hardware was just the charger. And um, you know, when you get into like use cases like multifamily, like people want the physical device, but they also want to monitor it and be able to monetize it and generate revenue. And so there was this missing software layer. Uh, and so within about 18 months of you know, starting the company and being a hardware distributor, essentially, um, you know, we completely pivoted to being a software developer and building the software layer that, you know, hopefully one day is going to sit on top of millions of, of EV chargers, uh, you know, all over the world. Wow. Wow. So that's, so that's kind of uh, where you guys are now. So it's, it's a software company because I had, I was under the impression that it was actually the chargers. You guys do sell the chargers, but your main, your main business is the IP is the, uh, is the software on top. Yeah. And so one of the things that, you know, in our pitch is, is we're like Android for EV charging. Um, so you okay. can go, you know, you can get a, 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 you know, Tesla installs chargers and they own the full, the, the mm. station and the software and everything. And it's fully vertically integrated like Apple. And then we have a couple other competitors that manufacture the hardware and software and bundle it together, kind of like mm -hmm. BlackBerry. Um, but we don't manufacture any of the hardware, but our software platform runs on top of the, you know, kind of biggest hardware manufacturer manufacturers. Uh, so our Samsung uh, might be some someone like ABB. Um, and then, you know, there's like Huawei's in the market too, more kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, Chinese players or, or Taiwanese players um, that, uh, that are coming into the North American market. But whatever the, uh, you know, the hardware, the physical devices, we're the software layer that runs on top of it. So basically, um, from, from what I know, just to kind of quickly break it down, um, what you decided to do was build a software behind it because there were so many hardware manufacturers and you just figured, well, if we can get a piece of the action on every transaction that goes through, then, I mean, obviously anything that has to do with payment processing that takes off ends up being massive. But, um, but also I, I feel like one of the things that most people don't think about when it comes to software and EVs is load management. Um, so do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think like, you know, the, the really key thing here is we, like, I wasn't necessarily like, you know, I was, I was looking for a problem first and foremost, and it directly came from going out and repping ABB hardware and then going out and repping you know, ChargePoint hardware, which is one of the more vertically integrated guys who had their software. And people would buy the ChargePoint hardware because it had a software layer. 
And I would try to sell the ABB unit and they would say, okay, but I need to do billing. I need to do other intelligent things like load management with this charger. So it kind of like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like purely my idea to put software on top of EV chargers. It was my customer's idea. They were like, hey, we need to do these things. Can you provide this? Um, and can you provide it with this specific hardware? Because we don't want to buy the other hardware for some reason. We want to buy, you know, the uh, this product. Um, but yeah, I mean, so so the the basic thing we get in the door for a lot of times is is billing. So you'll have. Um, like we're we're rolling out with a couple uh, municipalities in in the GTA in the next year, um, where we're going to do public chargers like in the municipality, and 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 mm. then people are going to pay to use the chargers. We're already in um, many many multifamily buildings, so apartments, condo buildings, and all these people come to the door because you know they want to install chargers in their condo building or in at their you know. Um, community center, and they want to monetize them. Um, but then once we're in the door, the thing that they realize is um, essentially the way the electric grid is built is kind of like a really, really big tree um, where the the power generation, which, um, you know, in, in Toronto happens to be predominantly nuclear, there's a big power plant that's generating a ton of power. Um, and then from that power plant in Ontario, you have power going to Toronto, you have it going to Quebec, you have it going down to New York, um, you've got it going to Vermont. Um, and so you have this big base of the tree, which is the power generation, and then you have smaller branches going off. And then once you get into the downtown core of a city, you have, you know, different amount of conduits going to every neighborhood. And then once you get into a specific building, there's smaller and smaller branches of these trees. And when you build a building, like when you build an office building, you say, okay, there's going to be a thousand units in this building. You know, every unit on average is going to use, you know, um, five kilowatts. Uh, so we're going to need uh, five megawatts of power coming into this building. And you'll always add a little bit of extra because, you know, buildings are built for a hundred years. You don't know if TVs are going to get bigger or, or, or heating is going to get, you know, uh, more, more sophisticated. Um, so every building is built with a limited electrical capacity. No building designed before, you know, 2015 ever even conceived of EV chargers. And, and the, the thing is a lot of the buildings that you are being open now were designed in like 2014. So there's literally buildings that are being opened in 2021 that didn't plan for EV charging. Um, but mm -hmm. one really cool thing that our software can do is like, you know, let's say you have enough power in your building for 10 EV chargers. We can put in 40 EV chargers. And then if two people are plugged in, we just give them full power. Uh, but if 20 people plug in, we can, we use our software to, um, to reduce the output of all the charges and give everybody 50% power. And then on the very far extreme end, if 40 people are all plugged in at charging at the same time, we can do that load balancing. And it's a really interesting problem because EV charging is a pretty big electrical load. Um, if you're to add EV charging to your, to like a single family home, your peak energy usage would often double or triple rather than like increasing by 10%. But that's just the peak amount of power that you pull. Like, um, 
not the quantity of power because we ultimately people who charge their EVs, they only charge for, you know, an hour, two hours a day or something like that. So you have this very large peak load, but the overall load, if you were to spread it out more evenly is not, not as, as substantial. Um, so using software to kind of like intelligently balance the load, um, it just, you know, it's an enabler for a lot of these buildings that wouldn't be able to support it. And, and, you know, there's great things happening in, in um, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, California, where, the government saying, hey, if people want to drive EVs and they live in a multifamily building, the building has to provide EV charging. It's not an option. Um, and so a lot of buildings are going to buy our load management pro product so that they can meet the demand of, you know, 20, 30, 40 people who all drive EVs in the same building. Hmm. And how do you, um, like, where would you say you stand right now in terms of the, like the general market and competitors and, and, what your market share is, I guess, compared to, to how many other entities exist. Yeah. So, you know, our biggest competitor a couple months ago did something called a, a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company, uh, which are, are all the rage um, these days. And we, we can talk about, you know, SPACs. Yeah, what is that? It's interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, so it, 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 it's the other kind of shorthand is it's called like a blank check company. The main idea of a SPAC is that taking a company public is a very, very expensive and onerous process. If you want mm -hmm. to go public, you will you will spend um, tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars um, in preparation and legal fees and underwriting. And you're going to, you know, Goldman Sachs makes, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars every time they take a company public. Um, you know, it's just like, a, you know, finder's fee kind of. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so there's been this financial innovation and it's not all that new, but like it really took off in 2020 where, you know, if you are a credible sponsor, you can take a, a shell company public. And, you know, the reason it's so hard to go public is you have to make sure all your accounting in line, everything's in line. If you take a, a blank check company public, there's no revenue, no employees, like there's nothing. So it's actually very easy to list a public company. So a very credible SPAC sponsor will take a company public, raise, you know, typically a couple of hundred million dollars, and then they will do what's called a reverse acquisition where the company that's trying to go public but doesn't want to pay all the fees will actually merge into the blank check company. Mm -hmm. They'll get the, the capital and then the shareholders in the Blake Champ company will become shareholders in that company. So that's what ChargePoint oh, did. Wow. Yeah, so, th so that's what ChargePoint like did. It sounds like it should be illegal. Yeah, that's definitely one of those loopholes. That's yeah, like, yeah. That's like, yeah. wow, okay. You've got lobbyists yeah. that'll make sure that doesn't get, you know, run down, but, uh, <laughs> but it seems like it should be illegal. Okay. Yeah. So that's what, that's what they did. Yeah. So, so basically our biggest competitor now is worth, worth $10 billion. Um, oh so we are, God. you know, by far the underdogs. Um, and would you say you're like next in line relative to no. them or are there five other people in between? Uh, there's another company that's going public for $4 billion and another public going on for $2 billion. They're all doing SPACs is very popular in, in our industry right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but what we have that's different and that's unique is these are all guys who are manufacturing EV chargers and, and yes, they have a lot of revenue. Um, but 
it's it's generally a less attractive type of revenue because they have to have a factory, they have to manufacture these devices, mm. they have to sell it. Um, whereas we can scale a lot more quickly. And the other thing about our kind of partners, if you look at the you know Levitins and ABBs and Siemens uh, and and you know Delta, Fi Home, Light on all these these companies, they're mm. manufacturing these devices. They're these incumbent co- like you guys know Levitin, right? Um, mm. You know, they make light switches and, and yeah. electric panels and stuff. They're making EV chargers, but they don't have any software. So our software could go on top of a Levitin charger. And as this market scales up, um, these guys, you know, my theory is that they're going to be really good at, at manufacturing cheap hardware. And, uh, and so we think that as this hardware scales up, you know, we can scale up too. So it's kind of like right now we're at the point where like it's 2007, Apple has launched the iPhone, you know, the only product that people know are, is the iPhone and, and BlackBerry. So mm. you got, you got iPhone and BlackBerry, but what's coming is a bunch of really sharp, really aggressive hardware companies like Samsung and Xiaomi and Huawei, and they need a, a unifying software platform. And, mm. and that's our bet. And obviously if we win that bet, it pays off in a massive way. Um, there's a lot of ways that it can go wrong. You know, it can end up in a market where, where you don't just have Android, you have Android and Windows phone and, and, and all these other things, or, you know, it could end up in a market where they all decide to build their own software um, for whatever reason. But, you know, uh, our bet is, you know, on really partnering with these, these big manufacturing companies. Mm. Um, and then the question isn't like, Okay, can can Charge Lab compete with ChargePoint? Because from a balance sheet perspective, the answer is obviously no, we can't. But can ABB, you know, a, a sixty billion dollar company, compete with a ten billion dollar company? Sure. Can Siemens, a hundred ten billion dollar company uh, that that already has their products specced into you know thousands of buildings that are being built all all around uh, the world, can they compete mm-hmm. against ChargePoint? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, one of the advantages, I guess, of being like a, a software company is is you can you can hopefully scale more quickly. At least that's the that's the hope and, and so, dream. So is that mm-hmm. your is that your goal to like is your next move kind of at the moment to try and approach one of those companies like Siemens or Leviton or whatever and say, hey, like you need to carry my software. How do we get this rolled out? And then you can work out a licensing agreement. Yeah, exactly. And and it's really thinking deeply about like, what can we offer them, right? Because there's other people who can write software. There's other people yeah. who are interested in EV charging. There's other people who understand load management, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it's really um, what what is our unique, you know, like our USP almost, um, unique selling proposition to these manufacturers. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's what we're going to work on for, for the next... Um, uh, do you have like a period of time, like an elevator pitch for what that is? Like if you ran into, you know, one of the execs in an elevator and is there, yeah, is I mean, like it's, it, it's essentially, you know, you guys know how big and powerful your distribution is, but how slow your software team is. Like you, you don't have the internal decision-making mm. process to build this software fast yeah. enough. We can I build a software way. super fast and we are agnostic. So we are going to run our software on all of your competitors' hardware. But the fact that we have, you know, 10,000 ABB units connected to our platform means that we will be able to better serve Leviton customers because we understand what they want and how they work. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, and, and then that's the pitch. Is it an option yeah. for you to get bought out? 
And is that something that you would want? Um, I mean, it's always an option. It's, you, you know, Shine could get bought out, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just a question of how much. And that yeah. was the original plan, right? I, I think I listened to your guys' first episode where you taught about, talked about kind of building to, to, to get bought out versus just building, you know, mm. continuing to build. Like originally your plan was to, you know, to build it and sell, right? And, and now you're more excited about, you know, continuing to kind of like scale the company, right? Things things change. The longer the longer you do it, the more you're like the more the yeah. picture develops, the more you're like, okay, the priorities change. You I know? think the, yeah. the biggest revelation for us was um was not was like initially when I I thought about starting this business particularly, it wasn't like I was really passionate or excited about the field. It was just, oh, this is gonna be a cool business. And then, you know, kind of like when we were involved with Airbnbs, it's gonna get to a certain point where uh, it just doesn't make sense to scale more. You don't want to scale more. And then you just say, all right, this doesn't make any sense. Like I'm going to sell it or just let it kind of sit and automate it to make passive income and leave. Um, and then each year that we do this, I think this is the first year that, I mean, I think I've fully grasped it, but I'm sure I haven't even come close <laughs> um, to really seeing like, holy shit, this isn't like every year we almost have to destroy the infrastructure and rebuild mm -hmm. the whole business a different way. And I'm starting to go, okay, well, you know, I thought we'd max out at a couple million dollars and, and leave, but now I'm going like, who, who knows? Like every time, why, why every time you set a number, somebody tells you, oh, that's just the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> like, why couldn't we do a hundred million dollars? Right, like yeah, it, 10. Oh, why couldn't you do a hundred? Oh, um, I couldn't. Yeah. So it, it ends up becoming almost like every year is just a, a new business for me. Um, so the reason that I thought I was going to leave by getting bored has just kind of gone out the window and I'm like, oh, well, I'm basically starting a new company every year. Yeah. which I feel like you've probably can relate to because you've had to pivot like 48,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel like doing. I'm starting a new company every month. Um, yeah, yeah. Investors uh, want something else. Okay. Let's get it to them. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's really exciting and that's like the fun part. Right. And I think ultimately it's, it's more rewarding. Like there's a lot of businesses that you guys would be really good at running. Um, mm. But I think that there is a, <clears throat> there is a, a buildup time in every business of so you quit this business to start another one today. Yeah. It would be two or three years before you felt like you really understood how to scale it, mm. you know? So often you, you have to look at kind of what you've built so far and, and, and just go up from there. Uh, but I mean, the, so the question about selling the business, like, I think that, you know, for me, when, when I was earlier in, in the startup, um, kind of journey. And I still am very early. Like we are what we are categorically an early stage company. Um, mm -hmm. you're an early stage company until you raise, um, like more than a hundred million us. Um, yeah. Now everybody's a, a startup, even if they're like $50 million in mm -hmm. and it's like their 12th year in business. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and the reason for that is because startups are such a small sliver of, of the economy. Yeah. Like there's other classes of, of like there's private equity and obviously public markets. So, um, you know, even a company that's raised, you know, tens of millions of dollars, um, if most startups try to target a really, really big market. Uh, so you look at a startup like Flexport that's like digitizing, you know, um, international freight and they, mm. they've raised like hundreds of millions of dollars, I think at this point. Um, but their, 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 their addressable market is literally like a trillion dollar market. So like they're mm. just at the beginning, but I mean, anyways, the best, the best advice I got on the kind of like by, you know, building a business to sell is like the same reason that someone would buy your business is like the reason that you would want to run it or the reason mm, that you would yeah, raise more yep. money or the reason that you yep. would IPO. The reason that you right? should like, sell it. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. It's like, what, what type of businesses do people want to buy? Uh, you know, great ones. Uh, yeah. good <laughs> customers, making. good yeah. revenue, good employees, good culture. You mm. know, people don't buy comp like as much as this is portrayed in the media and whatever, like generally people don't buy companies just, just, you know, um, like literally the set of things you could work on to take your business to the next level and to sell your business. There's like a 99% overlap, which is like mm. get more revenue, get better employees, build better yeah. systems, yeah. Um, you know, build a better brand, um, you know? And, and so for, for me, it's, it's like, it could happen one day, but I, I'm not going to change the way that I'm running the business either, either way. I feel mm. like the only mm. reason to do that would be, I mean, right now you're, I guess you are in a way kind of selling your business, just not as a whole, you're selling it in parts every time you get funding. Mm because you have this big goal of what you want to do. And unlike what we do, you have so much overhead, like you guys are burning tens of thousands of dollars a month. Um, yeah. So you like, you almost, it's like the idea is so far ahead of where reality is that you need so much more revenue just to keep up and keep you surviving long enough to actually attain your dream. Mm. And I think yeah. most people yeah. don't recognize that about startups. Like everybody hears like, Oh, this company got funding and you know, Uber hasn't even made or Uber eats is losing money. And like what they don't realize is that the reason behind it is, I mean, it's funny. Cause like when we talk about tech startups all the time, it's almost like it's a, it's like a different reality than the rest of, of mm. entrepreneurship. It's like, it's like you're living in the future almost. Like you're trying to yeah. create something for the future now. And like you need the funding to kind of help you get to the future what, where this thing is is going to be everything you know it can be. You're basically be. just investing money into ideas and people and mm. there's nothing tangible. You're like, I mean, like how long did Amazon lose money for where it's like, yeah, we're just going to keep pumping tens of millions of dollars into this thing even though it's really just like a website and on the, on the premise that we believe that eventually it will have enough market share to just start making all that money back. Hmm. Yeah. And, and there'll be a lot of losers that don't, don't make the money back, but there's yeah. winners too. Like when was the last time you thought of PayPal as a startup, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, people, PayPal is making money hand over foot all the time. And the people who invested in it, like the seed round for PayPal was like 20 years ago now. Mm. Right. So, oh, so the bet was correct. Right. Like yeah. they, they valued it way, way higher. Cause they're like, we assume that you're going to make, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in the future. And, and they are, um, you know, they've, they, I mean, they bought and bought 17 times. Like I think they got bought by, by some, maybe they just got bought by eBay or maybe they got by someone else then got bought by yeah. eBay. But mm. you know, even at that. And, and, and so, um, you know, I think one of the interesting things about technology is like technology works when it becomes boring. Like, um, is there anything more boring than like catching an Uber today? Um, it's like, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm true. running behind time. Like, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really want to find parking. All I guess I'll just get a friggin' Uber. Um, Uber <laughs> is like be magic. So exciting. It used to be yeah. so cool. Yeah. It was like, Oh my God. Like you can just do it on your phone and you see the little car moving towards you. <laughs> Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, so, so, you know, I know we'll have succeeded when people are like, oh yeah, like I, I just got to charge my car. I'm just going to plug it in and, and get billed. And when it like, uh, you know, it, it, when it's boring, that's when you've succeeded, right? Like right now, yeah. electric vehicles are very yeah. exciting and, and, and EV charging is very exciting. Everybody's very excited. Um, but you know, 
how much the only reason we talk about gasoline engines is is because of EVs before EVs came along like nobody in the the 90s mm-hmm. early 2000s was talking about like you know how interesting gasoline engines were it was just like we all use yeah. them and it's that's just cars just the way it yeah. went yeah. so yeah. i feel like um, yeah. like on the on the topic of funding i feel like that's that's really um something that not not very many people get to see um like through the looking glass behind the curtain. And you're probably one of the only people I know that has kind of given me that perspective. Um, so for anyone else listening, what, what would you say is, um, is a common myth uh, or assumption about getting funding and all of its glamour that you've kind yeah. of debunked and gone, you know, this, like, this is the reality compared to, to what you think you're seeing. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, specifically venture capital financing, which we'll talk about, which I'll talk about, like there's a lot of charts about this that show like every business in in the world and then the number that get VC financing. And and that's very accurate. Like not a lot of companies take VC funding, not a lot should. Um, Probably the number one misconception is that it's like cheap or free, uh, which is like, oh my God, mm. Zach, the, these guys gave your Jaeger company a million dollars and you didn't have to do anything. They just gave you a million dollars. VC funding is, if you succeed, this is the one caveat, if you succeed, it's the most expensive type of financing. Um, you know, let, let's say, Let's say I, I put your com- I put a million dollars into your company at at uh, you know a, a four million dollar valuation. So after my million dollars of post money valuation of five million dollars, now I own 20 percent of your company. Um, if you grow that value the value of that company from five million dollars uh, to fifty million dollars, um, you know the the effective interest you're paying on that you know 20% that you gave away for for a million dollars is far more than like any interest that you would pay on a loan mm-hmm. um you know it, it it's um and, and let's say you sell the company um you sell the company for um uh 50 million dollars and and the existing investor will be diluted but for simple purposes let's say I still own 20% of your company so I get 10 million dollars that you like you can calculate the interest rate to, to turn one million dollars into ten million dollars yeah. over, you know, like you're selling it, your soul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and it's more like you you can compare this to other sources of financing, right? You can compare this to to you know uh, bootstrapping and growing off your own revenue, which is the lowest cost of capital. You can compare this to debt, like taking out a loan from the bank, um, and and what you'll find is that the debt is a lot a lot, a lot cheaper. Um, but you can get venture capital when you cannot get, get, get debt. Um, and then the other thing is, is it's like, you know, every great company got turned down like a hundred times and, and every bad company got turned down a hundred times. Like the only difference between a good company and a great company is like on the hundred and first pitch, like, the guys who made it happen got a yes. And, and on the hundred first pitch, the guys who, who ultimately failed didn't get a yes. Um, but there's no, there's nobody who goes out and, and has a deck and has an idea and, and raises money. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many venture capitalists I've met with because I, I can't remember anymore, but it's, it's well over a hundred. Um, and we're, we're still at like the seed stage, right. Or, or the, mm. you know, series A stage. What, um, what charge lab is valued at right now? 
you can ask. You can ask anything you want. Um, <laughs> Are you allowed? I can't to talk tell. About that? <laughs> I, I can't tell. But um, how, about, how about this? Could you tell us what it was valued at when uh, you you first raised? Yeah. So the first financing yeah. round we did was was at three million dollar um, U.S. post money valuation. Valuation, and that um, was how long ago? That was in in 2019. In 2019. Okay, cool. And now it's worth oh. substantially more. You know, so yeah, the guys yeah. who got in at $3 million, if I had taken a loan instead of taking their money, mm-hmm. um, the loan would have been way cheaper, but no bank would have given me a loan because- yeah. we, we And you have just, to pay it back over time too, right? It's still yeah. even cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, but you yeah. need the cash. You mm-hmm. need cash to repay that loan. And if you can't repay the loan, then you default and then they take- they take yeah, everything, everything from you. From you. Mm-hmm. Whereas the investors, they're just along for the ride. They don't mm-hmm. have a choice. You're like, oh, you want your money back? Sorry, I have none. <laughs> you better wait till we sell or or burn. Um, and I, I yeah. think the other the other misconception is is kind of actually something you said of like, oh, you, you just have an idea and there's 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 nothing you know to show for it. I know you didn't mean that in a <laughs> in a in a you know resentful way. Yeah. Um, but but um, you know. If I could do it all over again, I would have gotten more sales before we raised money, right? Mm. There was a way that we could have gone out and sold more and, mm-hmm. and went to the investors and said, hey, here's what we've sold so far. And it's possible that then, you know, it wouldn't have changed that much, but maybe we could have had a $5 million valuation. Um, or and, given away less, yeah. Yeah, or given away less or raised more money. Um, and And so, you know, Sales is as big a topic in startups as it is in any other mm. company, right? Mm. It works a little bit differently. Um, you know, there's different things that makes it tick. Um, but, you know, um, Airbnb, Uber, um, Salesforce, all of these companies have massive sales teams and they're very well organized and very well staffed because, you know, everybody knows that the, um, you know, the, the day is going to come when, when the, the markets or the investors come knocking and, and they want their returns. So um, mm. while you do raise venture capital to build a, a highly differentiated technology, generally speaking, you know, you also raise it to do, to do sales. And, and mm. you know, it, our, like our current round of financing that we're doing, um, you know, probably over half of the money we're going to spend is going to be on, on marketing and sales. Um, wow. So we're going to continue to invest tons and tons of, of, of resources into building technology, hoping that it'll pay off and pay dividends in the long run. But we're also going to invest in sales, hoping that it'll pay off within, you know, 12 to 24 months. Mm. Wow. Um, you, you had mentioned, uh, you'd mentioned earlier, like not all companies should, should get venture financing. And I mean, I like, I feel like everybody, we know that to be true. And like, I'm just wondering if you can go more in depth on like, in detail, like what do you think is like the that line? Like what what means you should and what means like you definitely shouldn't kind of thing? Where's that line? Cause I know there's like tech startups that like are are definitely need it to like scale up. And then there's like businesses like ours that like definitely don't need it. And I'm sure there's like kind of some gray area in the middle where it's like maybe, maybe not, you know? Yeah. And 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 honestly, like Charge Lab raised money too too soon. Um okay. 
And, and so I was in that position of being somebody who shouldn't raise money, but tried anyways, um, because mm -hmm. I had an idea, because at the time we were just a distributor of EV chargers. And I had this vision that we could turn it into a software platform. But you know what, if I was really resourceful, we could have built, you know, V1 of that software platform um, and, 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 and then gone and raised money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, I mean, we, we had, you know, an MVP when, when we raised it, but um, I think that almost like, it, you can characterize these things, but it's really hard to tell when you're in it, right? Mm. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going to invent this framework on the spot, and maybe it'll be completely <laughs> valid, or maybe it won't. But maybe I would blow up and say, go viral. We're going to trade genius. Cut, yeah. cut it up into and, little and clips. And then you guys can be above, yeah. above above the Tim Ferriss show on on podcasts. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's viral. Um, yeah, I think that um, almost if I were starting a business from scratch and in, in, in the tech industry or in any other industry, I would, I would almost build a business plan where I'm not raising any capital, where I'm doing all the sales until we can hire someone else. And then, you know, we're building more of the product, doing more sales. And I would actually wait until someone outside my company said, part of my French, holy shit, you guys need to raise money. Mm. Um, because, um, your life will be a lot easier in, in that position. Everybody and their mom, you know, figuratively or literally um, are raising money for their startups now. So venture capitalists see a lot, a lot of pitches and most of the pitches are not ready to take on money. And most of the people don't have a very good view of where they stand in the marketplace and what they're lacking. And so you can do incubator programs and accelerator programs and get ready and refine your pitch. Like this is a pretty good idea too, if you can go to an incubator accelerator program. But the other thing I would say is just put your head down, build a sustainable business that you're going to be happy running. And when somebody, you know, and occasionally go, you know, to a pitch competition or something. And when someone says like, you guys need to raise money, um, that's when you do it because you're going to get you. It's going to be a much easier process. You're going to have, have better terms. And I mean, there's like, there's very interesting stories and I can't think of any of those off the top of my head, but there's, there are businesses that were, you know, literally normal, small to medium businesses for like 10 or 20 years and then something in the market changed and they became a super fast scalable you know tech company mm. um right and and um and so i think yeah patience and and that i mean nobody's gonna follow this advice everybody's gonna start pitching for vc funding like all the time <laughs> as quickly um, as possible yeah yeah it's yeah. the but, lure of that like like hearing about people raising like multi-million dollar rounds and people are just like, oh, like I want that. They don't realize like how much comes with that, you know, all the well, strings I, attached. I feel like it's the same thing as like entrepreneurship, you know, like, like you've said, Zach, only recently has tech startups become mm. a thing. And, and just around that time, entrepreneurship just became a thing. And now, you know, everybody in business school is like, I, I want to start a business. And like, most of them don't actually want to start a business. They just think it's the cool thing to do and it sounds good. And that that's what raising, I think raising funding is to tell mm. someone that, you know, we got valued at 10 mm. million. It just, it's, I feel like it's like a, an, a it's an, an ego, ego thing. Yeah, it's, it's an, an ego, ego thing, thing yeah. for, for just uh, for you to be validated just to say yeah. like, this is what I'm worth almost. But if you really like truly believe in, in your idea and you know, you can take it to the moon, uh, if you don't need funding, you, you shouldn't get funding because you're best just, thing to do is not. Yeah. You're just giving away like shares of what you have. Um, 
it's like uh, you know, like a, when you go to the bank and you want to get a B a B mortgage, like you're doing it because you need to get a house, but nobody wants to pay ten percent. It's like <laughs> imagine if you were like, yeah, I, I just instead of talking about how much you got, you were like, yeah, I actually just gave away twenty percent of my company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, don't you think it's going to be worth like a billion dollars one day? Yeah, but I I just gave it away. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if you could, um, I know you talked about um about like how you would do things differently from the beginning. Um, but from day one up until today, what part of starting Charge Lab and running it would you say caught you the most off guard and surprised you? Yeah, yeah. And it's always easy in hindsight to say, like, I would do things differently. Like, mm. I would do things differently with the knowledge I have today. Right. Like, there's no way to go back no. five years and have the knowledge I have today. So in reality, I would have done nothing differently because I did. Yeah. I made the best decision that I thought I could at every turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's like macroeconomics or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, um, well, so I mean, maybe to comment a little bit on like what you're you're saying about raising money. Yeah, it, it's it's also you're signing up for much different type of business, like. Mm. Um, you know, nobody is going to take what you've built that shine away from you. Um, there's no world where somebody else gets control of this company in two years, no matter what happens, unless you want it to happen, unless you want to sell the company or hire a managing director or whatever, you can do all those things. Um, there's a very real world where if Charge Lab does not hit its targets for products and sales in the next 24 months, where um, that's it. You know, we close our doors or the company gets taken away from me. Uh, and all this blood, sweat and tears is, is out of my control now because, because someone else owns it. So you, you really are like making a serious, um, signing. And, and it's not that like the investors at this stage in the company have the power to do that, but it's by, by taking money at this stage, we are implicitly signing up to take money at the next stage and then implicitly signing up to take money at the next stage. And mm. before you know it, after a relatively short period of time, you no longer have the majority of control of your company and you have a board of directors and, and the board of directors has to act in the fiduciary duty of the company. And very often the guy who started the company in the garage is not the guy to be a CEO of a very big company. And so then you can get very easily removed from your own company. Um, you know, or, 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 you know, we are forced to grow artificially, as you hinted at. So we are spending, um, you know, uh, a lot of money. Um, and it gets to a point where it's not like, it's very hard to scale back um, from like a team of, of 25 or 30 people. I mean, like, oh, we can only really afford to have three people. So let's fire, you know, 27 people and keep, keep three people. <laughs> Like that'll just destroy a lot, a lot, like yeah. companies a lot of time. So, mm -hmm. so you are signing up for this, this certain path, but. Um, is that, is that what surprised you the most? Did you not like see that coming? No, I mean, I think what surprised me the most is um, maybe the importance of signaling. So like having a very good investor vouch for you, somebody who is respected within the industry um, is, is very, very important. Um, and I think this is a really important lesson as a Canadian tech company too, mm. um, because ultimately we started having a lot more success when we looked south of the border and we found investors that were more used to taking risk and who had like a larger growth mindset. Um, because, 
you know, and really like, I don't want to put venture capitalists in this, in this little box and say like, the only thing VCs care about is who else is investing. Like that's a very a common trope, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we've met some very good DVCs that do their independent research and come to their own uh, conclusion about a company. Um, but all, in a very real way, that is also true that like a lot of VCs care about who else is investing. Yeah. But I think there's mm-hmm. a broader lesson here that like that, um, you know, if, uh, let me try to think of somebody that we all mutually know. Um, yeah. If, if Dan comes to me and is like, you know, Oh, Sam Simmons is like the best mm-hmm. sales guy I know. And Patrick comes to me, he's like, Oh my best sales guy. I know Sam Simmons. And, you know, and Kendra Bolton comes to me and like best guy in the world, Sam Simmons, like that, that means so much more than any resume that I could ever read. Right. Yeah. And this yeah. has nothing to do with venture capital and financing, but like, this yeah. is just how humans operate. It's, it's just like life. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think that in everything you do, you have to keep in mind there's, okay, there's the business plan and there's what's on paper and there's the numbers. But more than that, it's like, do you have the right people on your side of the table that are vouching for you and saying, Hey, mm-hmm. I put my money behind charge lab. Mm-hmm. You should too. Um, or like, hey, I invest my career in, in, in joining Shine, like you should too. Um, and uh, I think that's like, you know, I think in, you know, I, I had read about that before before doing all of this, but like to really internalize and understand that is, is, is you know, pretty surprising, I think. Wow. Um, okay, cool. Do you have another one? Um, I go? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I just wanted to kind of sh- uh, like, shift gears a little bit. I mean, still on kind of the same topic, but I can only imagine because like Dan and I have spoken about our experiences on the podcast before about how running a business, the entrepreneur life, like, you know, the being like the boss can kind of be a lonely endeavor and can kind of be tough. Um, I tough think before on you, the podcast, like, I called it, I called you, I called it the mental torment of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. The mental torment of being an entrepreneur. Perfect way to put it. Um, yeah. So I was just like, just like hearing you say all this, I can only imagine like the, the order of magnitude greater that it must be for you knowing that like you have to deal with all the stuff that I feel like Dan and I deal with, but also like the stress of like having to raise and having all these people that work for you and knowing like, like essentially like, I know I feel a responsibility for my employees and I'm sure you feel the same, you know, like, okay, like I have to do this for the company to survive, but also like for these people and all that, like, can you speak a little bit to that? Like how you, how you deal with the, yeah. basically the pressure. Cause that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I, and I mean, I, I don't think anybody's, you know, struggle in entrepreneurship is, is, is bigger or worse. You know um, the CEO of Airbnb has a lot more mouths to feed uh, than you guys, mm-hmm. but he's also got a very qualified team of executives that ultimately, you know, if they're not doing his, their job, then, you know, like it, it, it's more their faults and whereas the buck mm-hmm. kind of stops with you guys. So like, yeah, you know, bigger companies, more mouths to feed, more pressure to make it success, succeed. Um, same kind of um, things happen when you take on venture capital and you hire people. Um, but I, I definitely think that you guys, you know, go through the same um, struggle that, you know, the CEO of, of Airbnb goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Elon Musk called it uh, chewing glass and staring into the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you don't even have to explain that for me to, no, to I, understand. I, I, exactly totally, what I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just constantly enduring pain while, while being unfazed. alone. Yeah. Totally unfazed. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I also think that on some level, I don't have the answer to like how to endure this on some level. I think it's a personality thing. Like I am, yeah. I am yeah. a very, um, um, uh, let's say I have a, an internal locus of control, mm. right? Like I, I, I do things for my own reasons and my own motivations. Um, because if I was doing this to impress somebody else, um, eventually they would not be impressed and, and I would give up. Um, and and I think it's the same thing, you know, for like, for you guys, if, if you were growing your business to impress your friend, Zach, who has, you know, super sexy VCs invested in his company, (laughs) um, you would be like, okay, well, you know, we're not going to get these types of VCs in our company, but you're doing it for yourselves. You're doing it to, to challenge yourself, to, um, you know, make more money than you would, uh, working for someone else to build a great team, work with people that you really enjoy working with, you know, build a culture, be part of uh, a great culture and, and hopefully build something that's self-sustaining. And when you do take your foot off, off the gas, um, you know, eventually you're surprised to find everything just keeps, you know, smoothly coasting along. Uh, but there is a very, very long time for which if you take your foot off the gas, um, everything just halts to a stop. <laughs> um, mm. and, and I think that's the hardest part. Um, yeah. and, um, yeah, our companies run out of money, um, entirely run out of money. Um, and, um, sorry, I hope that I bumped my microphone. Oh, it's all good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm not on mute, am I? No, we can hear you. You're good. Yeah, I, I pressed it and then unpressed it. Um, just when I was getting to the juicy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we were just really getting I think going. You were, you were, you were just finished uh, shedding a tear. Yeah, before you yeah, yeah. I mean, like we, 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 we completely ran out of money. Um, at uh, you know, it, at least, uh, at least a handful of points, and. Um, there's a lot of hard things about those moments. You know, one is obviously like, okay, this is pretty stressful. Like I figure I have to figure out how to make payroll time to start calling my friends and family. Um, but the other is like, you know, how did, how did I let it get to this point? Cause I'm smarter than that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've run businesses before, you know, I ran really good, a really big student works college pro franchise. You know, I, I went to all these incubators and courses. I learned about cash flow management. I studied finance. Um, you know, how, how did I let it get to this point? Um, and then the other very tough thing about being a venture back company is like, I don't want to go to my investors because they will give me money and they will take a very big chunk of the company. Mm, um, yeah. So anything I can do to avoid raising more VC before I need it um, is, is really huge. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's uncomparable. Um, and I think really like a lot of credit goes to entrepreneurs um, and then a lot of credit goes to the entrepreneur's support system. So um uh, you know, my, my family, my wife, like people who put up with all my shit, um, uh, when things are (laughs) down, like they, 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 they probably need more credit than they'll, they'll ever get if, if, if the company succeeds and, and IPOs and, and everything. Um, can you, um, can you take us into that? Uh, I feel like that's a very common theme in, in fast scaling businesses where, um, where you're moving so quickly that, there's a very, very clear linear path to success. Um, 
but because you're moving so quickly, you can't keep up with payroll. You can't keep up with cash flow. You can't pay off your debts fast enough. I mean, I know that happened with Nike. I know that happened, as you said, with you, that's happened with so many other companies. Um, can you like give us a, a deep dive, I guess, not so much into like a logical answer, but more of like the emotional state that you go through when you see the bank account is, is it a negative and you've got, you know, 20 employees to pay and, and VCs and you've invested what now five years into this company and yeah. it could all collapse tomorrow if you don't go ahead and do something about it. Yeah. I mean, how does that, how does it's, that it's really you? like, you know, at least me, I just blame myself. Um, I really do feel like I'm smarter than this. Um, uh, and uh, let me try to think of a good analogy for like, what it might feel like. Uh, I mean, it's almost like when you are in a college or university course and you know how important it is and you know this is your major, this is what you want to do in your future, these grades are important, and you um, do uh, you procrastinate, you do other things. Like, it, it's not like, I don't think, you know, most people who go to university, who go to college, are like working pretty hard, but you might be working hard on your a student painting side hustle business like us. Mm. You might be working uh, really hard on uh, learning how to date if that's the first thing that you're, the first time you're doing it in university. <laughs> you know, you might be working on all sorts of things, and, and but you know, you know this class is important and you get to the final exam and you're like, I, I'm smarter than this, right? I saw this coming and I had every opportunity to, um, you know, start putting it aside time earlier. Um, but then, you know, kind of calling, calling around, looking for the money, um, uh, you know, just to make payroll, that's kind of like cramming for your exam. Um, yeah. you know, two days right before the exam, but I feel Gotta like go through the whole, the whole semester, I feel like, like your, it sounds like in your experience, what's happened was there were things you could have evidently done to avoid it and you just didn't do it. Whereas, and maybe I'm totally wrong, but my perception was always, maybe not always, but often in those situations, it's kind of this unavoidable thing that's just inevitably happening. And there's not a whole lot you can, you know, maybe you don't run out that day if you plan a week ahead, but often it's just kind of occurring and you're, you're like staring into the abyss as the money is just draining. So do you mean the exams are running out of money? Because both are like pretty hard fixed in at date and time. The difference with the company is it's, it's not on a specific schedule, but you can do the math. If you've got a million dollars in the bank yeah. right now yeah. and you're spending a hundred thousand dollars a month or in net losses, you can do the math. Like the date is not that hard to predict. Mm -hmm. um, just like the date of your exam, you know, you don't know it yeah. at the beginning of the semester. It might be, you know, April 15th, that might be April 19th, but you know, it's going to be middle of end of April. Mm. Um, you know, so, so, I mean, and this is just more of an emotional journey. Obviously the stakes are a lot, a lot lower with the course, but it, mm. it's kind of like, you know, you cram, you make it through, you somehow you survive and then you get on with it. I think, I think the reality is sometimes people don't survive. Like sometimes people fail the course, they get kicked out of school. Sometimes people businesses go bankrupt. Right. But for the people yeah. who, you know, the brain wow. has this really wonderful way of like forgetting, um, traumatic events. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, 
you know, for the people who make it through that exam and, and get the chance to do it all again next, by, by the time they get to next semester, they've forgotten about it and they forget to study yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you figured it out, right? You made it through your- You were like, oh, I, I did it last time. Yeah. It, it, went, it went fine last time. It'll be good. What <laughs> happens when you study for that exam so hard and you really did put in the work all semester and you got the extra help you needed from tutors and whatnot and- and then you still and, fail. The and course. you still fail. That also happens in businesses, yeah. right? You right. hire the right people. You you do the right sales motions. You 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 do the right engineering motions, um, and you don't have product market fit. Um, there is a, a you know the other thing about the kind of whole tech startup thing is. Um, we talk about the winners like we don't talk we don't talk about the losers right mm. there are a lot of losers um you know uh a lot of losers and so yeah i mean that that happens the market is is more unforgiving than your your algebra professor believe it or not mm. well that's just life right it's like uh it's like now so many businesses are getting shut down with covid and and so many businesses that were i mean there's a fucking store three blocks away from us that's like turn your vhs cassettes into digital and it's just like people have livelihoods that are dependent on the current market ecosystem and then that ecosystem goes bust and most of the businesses is gone yeah, and, and the yeah. world feel a lot of you know if you know that person you feel sorry for them especially in, in covid when it's totally out of your hands and it, it's kind of hard to see that coming but it's like it's I, nature I feel like, almost. It's like you can't control it. It's just the way the world goes. Yeah, and I know? feel yeah. like the the whole on the locus of control point. I think that that's a. I mean, we ask people when we interview them, we're like on a scale of one to ten, how how lucky or unlucky would you say that you are? And I find that people that say that they're unlucky generally, you know, they're blaming the world for things that are happening to them, and mm. and they don't think they have control. But when you're running a business, yeah. um, it's such a. It's like such a slap in the face that you have such an internal locus of control because at the end of the day, if you're not doing the things you need to do to win and succeed, you can't, you can't look at anybody else to go, well, had you done this or had this occurred, I would have won. It all just comes back to you not doing that one or two or three, four other things to anticipate mm -hmm. what happens. And, and that's just the market, right? That's, that's just how it is. That's so, the world. yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day too, like, being good at at business doesn't mean that you're a good person and being a good person doesn't mean you're good at business yeah. if you're if mm -hmm. you're a good person and you're good at business that's great i'd love to be friends with you um mm -hmm. but i know a lot of great people who are uh who have had unfortunate outcomes for for their businesses or their careers um and and i also know people who are phenomenal at, at business and 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 absolutely killer at business and you know, fundamentally, you wouldn't want them as as the godparent to your kids <laughs> um, for yeah. any number of reasons, right? Yeah. And, and so I think it's also important to distinguish that, right? Like, I mean, especially if you are one of those entrepreneurs right now who is shutting down your business because of, of COVID, like that, the market is very brutal, but that doesn't mean you're you're a bad person. It doesn't even mean you're a, um, an unintelligent people um, in person. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's- You just got to move on. Yeah, and, and, and I, I don't even think there's that much of a, a correlation between, you know, intelligence and success in business. It's probably more about hustle. Um, hmm. So, yeah, Great. I mean, that that that's like, uh, you know, a nice um, or, or not nice uh, uh, <laughs> thought as we get toward the end. But but yeah, I mean, I think there's people who are great at business and there's, there's people who are just great people. And uh, I think 
if you are an entrepreneur, you should always aspire to both be a good person, you know, give back to your community, take care of your friends, take care of your family, and to be good at business. And, and those things can very easily coexist, but, you know, they don't necessarily coexist. And, and I think that's the most tragic part of, of, of things like COVID, because we all know these, these small business owners, we all know these, you know, people who, mm. um, who are affected and, and it's, you know, it really not a value judgment on, on, on the, them or even their business. It's, it's just, um, it's unfortunate. just what's happening. Yeah. 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 So moving to the end, um, obviously you're, uh, you're always on to, to something else and I'm sure you could spend a couple hours telling us about all the new tech that's coming out in the, in the next 20 years that none of us have even thought to think of or hear of yet. Um, but yeah, once I hope this we didn't is... talk about Charge Lab too much at the beginning. I hope that was interesting. No, it was. Oh it was. no, it's it was good. It was good. Very interesting. Um, I think it laid a good a good base for everything else that we talked good about. Foundation. Yeah. Um, uh, whether you stay in Charge Lab or uh, or sell or you know once once Charge Lab kind of settles where weathers the storm, and you get to whatever point uh, fate has in store for you. Um, the market. What? More like it. What? What does Zach want to dive into next? Is there any other project that that's kind of catching your eye and going? If, I, if I'm not doing this in five years, then I'm going to be doing something else. Uh, well, I mean, that depends. Are there any good openings at Shine? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We could we could talk to a couple of people. Yeah. Maybe you can make something. I happen. know. I know a guy up there. Yeah. I, can, I can ask for you. <laughs> Um, no, but seriously, is there is there anything else that's kind of piquing your interest or has caught your eye recently? Yeah, I mean, I, I I've always been obsessed with technology, like since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, you know, I I was like tinkering on on my parents' computers from when I was very young, and you know, very into the the Steve Jobs presentations in the in the early two mm. thousands when the iPod came out and, and it was all very exciting. Um so, you know, I think at the end of the day with Charge Lab, um, like this is really chapter one. Like the Super Bowl ads were all about EVs this year, but yeah. um but there's a lot of people most people don't drive EVs. So, you mm. know, I think we've got a solid uh, 10 or 20, 20 years of, of growth in, in this business. But, you know, we, we probably will, um, you know, either exit or, or, or fail, um, you know, within, within the next, uh, 10 years. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's something like, um, in, your guys blood and my blood about wanting to run a business like mm. um you know we all went to to college and when we got there we were like oh ooh, we could run like a, a business during the summer that's more interesting let's go do that yeah, yeah. right and yeah. i think so you know so disappointing whatever. business school <laughs> like we got there thinking we're like we're gonna learn how to run a business and then you get there and you're like this is this is not this what is i thought not, it was gonna yeah. be <laughs> where's the business stuff <laughs> Yeah. Well, so you guys were in like the, the business school programs. I was like in the other programs, but yeah, same, same idea. Um, um, the, so, so yeah, I mean, I think as, as much as like, like, I, 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 I don't think that I'll ever, you know, leave charge lab and go work somewhere or, or like, even if, 
one day I, I do have enough money that I, I don't need to work on other stuff. I think I'll always find another project to dive into. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully just learning on, on all the, you know, pain and, and suffering, uh, from every previous business. I mean, every business has it and you, you have to learn from it. And, you know, um, I think your guys' story is, is, is really inspiring because, um, you are running a, a business that is ad adjacent to a business that we, we all first ran. Um, yeah. Like for me, and, and I, I was like maybe a, a year or two ahead of you guys, but for me, the first yeah. painting franchise I ran was 10 years ago now, right? So wow. you, you, you guys are running a business that, was seven. Yeah. That, that you ran seven years ago, but you have found a way to do the same business without some of the stress and growth constraints and, you know, unhappy customers and, yeah. and, and all sorts of things that would happen. Right. So like, honestly, if I had to go back and run that business, I would have all the same problems because I haven't, you know, focused on that and figured out how to build a better system for that. So I think just like learning from, you know, learning from the current tech business and doing another tech business would be really interesting and probably a lot less stressful the second time around. Yeah. If only we knew then what we know now, then yeah. uh, that's always what it is. Hey, eh? then we wouldn't we be who we are. So that's it. Yeah. Well, and, and also remember, you know, the, the, the idiot you're thinking of from seven years ago, um, is, is you today, seven years from now. Um, oh, so yeah. oh, that's it. That's, that's it. So, I, so I'm the idiot now is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a good thing to think about. Like, and I think about yeah. that a lot. I'm like, okay, the things I, I say on, on, on Pat and Dan's podcast, how dumb are they going to sound? seven years from now seven years from now and i yeah. just set the bar pretty low i'm like everything i say is going to sound really dumb um yeah. wow. but uh you know uh, ho hopefully it's an iterative, iterative process and you know in terms of podcasts like i'm the biggest podcasters are embarrassed by by their first episode so i hope you know sure. this goes goes really far for you guys and and you can look back and uh and be like um you know, I, I can't believe we let Zach, uh, uh, you know, do, do the podcast without an in the making branded t-shirt on that we now send to everybody before we start filming. Yeah. Um, we're going to send you like uh, spicy chicken wings. And that's have you, yeah. That's a good idea. Write that one down. Yeah. I feel like that's been done before. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, awesome. Did, did you have anything else you wanted to? No, that was, uh, that was good. Yeah. I think that that was a, a great, uh, a great note to end it on. Zach, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Was there it was anything else you awesome wanted to see you uh, again? You wanted to hit on before we, we hit? Are you recruiting? Yeah. Are you doing we, anything? We are with, recruiting. A plug? Yeah. Yeah. www.chargelab.co. That's CO slash jobs. Um, okay. Yeah. Or uh, all roles I, or what's that? You're hiring for all roles, like uh, engineering, sales, everything. Yeah. Engineering and sales um, okay. in both the U.S. and Canada. Um, and I actually just joined Twitter. Um, so, <laughs> so, 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 go follow me on Twitter. My handle is at zak underscore ev. So you can ZAKEV. We'll put it in the, in the, the description. Let us know yeah. when you have when you have yeah. Elon's ear. We'd yeah. like to have him on. <laughs> We'd like to have him on. Yeah. Yeah, um, I heard he does podcasts. You might have to. Uh, well, <laughs> this guy Joe, I heard yeah, knows yeah. him. Yeah, we, <laughs> have to, we might have to give him. Some, I was gonna uh, say you might have to supply some, a little bit more yeah. than uh, than yeah. a nice yeah. plant in the background. Yeah. <laughs> One and a half billion in Bitcoin, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> well, thanks so much, Zach. All right, we're Zach. Gonna, thanks uh, so much, man. Appreciate we're it. Cut this and uh, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Hey, everybody. This is Patrick. Just checking in quickly after the episode to say thank you so much for listening or watching. We really appreciate it. We've got some super cool interviews lined up in the near future. We're very excited about them, and we think they're going to bring a lot of value to a lot of people. So make sure that you subscribe on your platform of choice. We are officially available on all major podcasting platforms and on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe there and stay tuned for more. We'll see you next time.